The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We have the confluence of two very important things happening today. One is the Feast of Mother's Day. (laughs) That secular feast with its origins in the United States in the 1870s. And we also have the Feast of Pentecost with its origins in the ancient Jewish tradition and reappropriated and celebrated by Christians by at least the third century. What joins these two festivals of mothers and of the church today is the Holy Spirit who is the one we are really celebrating today. Our tradition says that the Holy Spirit comes and creates the church. We say in the creed each Sunday we believe in the Holy Spirit and we make a series of statements about the Holy Spirit just as we make a series of statements about God the Father and about God the Son. We say that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. We say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. We say that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. Our passages from Scripture this morning also tell us something about the Spirit of God. In the passage from the book of Numbers, we join the Israelites as they wander in the wilderness after their deliverance from Egypt. And as we may remember from the story, story, we know that the Israelites are, as usual, complaining and groaning and moaning about how horrible things are now that they're free. And um, Moses is getting a little bit tired of this. God is getting tired of this. Everybody's just tired and cranky about it all. So God and Moses get together, and God says, you know what, Moses, I'm going to help you. I'm going to share my spirit, not only with you, but with 70 of the elders that are with you, so that you're not bearing the burden of leadership by yourself. And so God does put some of God's spirit on Moses, and on Moses' 70 elders there among the Israelites. Now, I think there are two things of interest here, at least two. One is that in this passage, the Hebrew word for spirit is a feminine noun, ruach. It means breath, 
or wind as well as spirit. And while the Hebrew Bible tends to personify God in male terms, there are some significant and subversive exceptions to that. And this is one of them. I read somewhere that of references to the Spirit, to God's Spirit in the Hebrew Bible, something like seven-eighths of those references that are clearly to God's Spirit are feminine, clearly feminine. So first thing to notice from this passage in Numbers, God's spirit of leadership, the power of God to help nurture and lead a people, a power that creates and expands leadership. This power, we might say, is a feminine power, even, dare we say it, a maternal power. The second thing of interest here in this passage is that the circle of leadership and power is expanded beyond the comfort zone of those who are already within the circle. There are the 70 that are kind of already the ones who are likely candidates to get this measure of God's spirit. And then there's Eldad and Medad who kind of seem outside the circle and gosh, they get it too. And it's kind of upsetting. Joshua says, Moses, this, uh, this doesn't really work for me. And Moses says, well, it really works for me. <laughs> and so does God. So the Spirit of God presented in our Hebrew Bible lesson this morning not only shows a feminine, maternal, nurturing side, but also a side that expands, that includes more and more. The reading from the Acts of the Apostles also shows a Holy Spirit that overflows man-made boundaries. The apostles were in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes down and breaks open a whole new understanding of who God is and who God intends to be in relationship, which of course is with the whole cosmos. In the person of Jesus Christ, God is universalizing the invitation to be in relationship with God and extending that invitation to the whole world. And then there's the Gospel passage, which makes something of a contrast to the dramatic, very public, very open and powerful scene of the Spirit's descent. Here, in the Gospel passage, the Holy Spirit comes in an intimate, quiet way, with a personal touch to the breath of Jesus. Now, the Acts passage and the passage from John show two types of ways that the Spirit can come to us. A big one and a small one. A very public one and a rather private one. One kind of impersonal, although people are able to hear what they need to hear in the crowd. But also a very personal, intimate way that Jesus does when he breathes on them. Not unlike the different ways the Spirit may work for us in different contexts and places and times in our lives. And yet, in my view, both of these givings of the Spirit contain a similar strain in them. They have the effect of loosening, of unbinding, of freeing, of liberating. One is in a very public expansive, dramatic, fire-filled way 
and the other in an intimate, quiet, gentle way. But both of them show the spirit, I would say, unfreezing us. Unfreezing us from fear, from guilt, from prejudice, unfreezing us from inaction, unfreezing us to move in ministry in the world around us. There's a terrific image, at least I think it's a terrific image, a Pentecost image that comes from a wonderful book that kind of, um, I think, encapsulates in a different way, maybe kind of a visual way, uh, in addition to the, to the sound way that we heard this morning of the way the Spirit can work. It comes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I imagine some of you have read the book, maybe to yourselves or to children or grandchildren, or maybe you've seen the movie. We've begun to dip back into that book in our house. You may recall that at the end of the story, there is uh, Aslan, the lion, who's the... I probably shouldn't spill the beans, but it's the Christ figure in the book. (laughs) Aslan has come and liberated the world of Narnia from the spell of the wicked white witch, which is who has made it winter throughout Narnia for generations. And Aslan comes and through his death and then his coming back to life again has a tremendous effect on Narnia. And there's the particular scene I'm thinking of is when Aslan has come back to life and he flies through the air into the White Witch's castle, the courtyard of the White Witch's castle, where there are hundreds of all kinds of beasts and creatures who have been frozen, their stone, in this courtyard because of the White Witch. With her evil power, she turned them to stone during her long, cold reign of terror. And I want to read to you this description of what happens because I think it really captures something important about Pentecost. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper which is propped up in a grate against an unlit fire. And for a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second after Aslan had breathed upon him, this stone creature looked just the same. And then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. Then it spread. Then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. And then, while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion, this is the stone lion that Aslan is freeing, breathing upon, the lion shook his mane and all the heavy stone folds rippled into living hair. And then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He lifted one of them and scratched himself. 
Then, having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking round him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. The courtyard looked no longer like a museum. It looked more like a zoo. Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing round him till he was almost hidden in the crowd. Instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colors. Glossy chestnut sides of centaurs, indigo horns of unicorns, dazzling plumage of birds, reddy brown of foxes, dogs, and satyrs, yellow stockings and crimson hoods of dwarfs, and the birch girls in silver, and the beach girls in fresh, transparent green, and the larch girls in green so bright that it was almost yellow. And instead of the deadly silence, the whole place rang with the happy sound of happy roarings, brayings, yelpings, barkings, squealings, cooings, neighings, stampings, shouts, hurrahs, songs, and laughter. We give thanks this morning for the Holy Spirit among us. We joyfully acknowledge and celebrate her presence. Wherever there is freedom and action and movement and joy. Amen. <laughs> 